I bring you love. It's bringing love. Don't let it get away. Break its legs. Wait. You want an alien? This is your alien. are now listening to the Enter VR podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by Stephen McClowski. Um, he is the CEO at Nanome VR, and Nanome is at the intersection of nanotechnology, um, virtual reality, and industry. Um, and Stephen, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me. So tell me more about Nanome. What is it that you guys are up to these days? Yeah, so we actually just launched uh, a product onto the, the VR app stores. So for a while, we've had CalcFlow, which has been the uh, the leading forerunner in STEM. Uh, it's a really great tool for like graphing mathematics and understanding like three-dimensional mathematics, as well as different basic geometry and algebra and trigonometry. Um, so yeah, CalcFlow has been been around for a while. We've gotten a lot of downloads from you know scientists and universities and students and everyone there. Uh, but last month, Actually, we just launched Nanome, which is our new product, same name as the company, uh, onto Oculus Theme and Viveport, which allows anyone to you know, put on a VR headset and essentially like zoom down to the nanoscale where they could um, you know, play with atoms and build molecules and understand the, the protein receptors in our body and uh, uh, yeah, all, all sorts of uh, you know, nanotechnology as well. So the platform pretty much just lets you uh, import and build and modify anything made out of atoms. How... Did you come up with this idea? <laughs> How did you, like, out of all the things that you can be doing in VR, like millions of things you can be doing games, you could be doing social VR, you could be doing, like, platforms, productivity. Like, here you are it, at this, at, with nanotechnology and, like, educating people um, in the sciences. Like, how did you get here? Like, what was your, your thought process? Yeah, it's been a bit of a journey. Um, I, I think I was I was more into the whole um, you know, building with atoms uh, before I got into virtual reality. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up as a as a gamer. You know, I had the uh, the Sega Genesis and N sixty four, PlayStation, PlayStation two, Xbox, and then, and then I got into the whole PC gaming thing. So been a PC gamer for uh, you know a large portion of my life. And uh, you know, really, it was it was playing with computers and, and understanding all that as I was in college, uh, going through my degree, which was in nanoengineering, uh, which actually um, UC San Diego, where I went, is the first uh, school in the world uh, to have a entire dedicated nanoengineering department. So we were always kind of like this guinea pig tester class, where you know, we kind of had to work with the faculty and, and, and professors and everyone to to refine the curriculum around what it actually means to be a nanoengineer, which is kind of a lot of fields that are all intersecting. You have on one end the material sciences, like um, you know, silicon, the chips that go into your smartphones, or creating new metals, or even like the, the wire. If you ever got like braces, there's a, a special wire that they put in mm-hmm. uh, that, that kind of like contracts and, and allows your, your teeth to, to be more aligned better. Um, so it's like a shape memory alloy called nitinol. So it's like that whole side with the... Um, you know, classical materials plus, you know, nanomaterials and how do we make the size of these particles really tiny and then how does that change the properties 
uh, all the way through biological things, which includes like the, the proteins that make up viruses and cells and you know, pretty much everything in your body to small molecules and chemicals that might you know, bind to them. Like if you take Tylenol and you get a headache, you know, understanding how all of that works. Um, so it was a really new major, and um, you know, I kind of took it upon myself to say, hey, I'm a gamer. Like We need better graphics when we're dealing with this stuff because this is some some really complex stuff that we can't see when we look at things. Like we need to, we need to have a better like mental model of like what's really going on here. So it, it started as a transition from like, how do we get away from chalkboards, which is what we were using and get into computer graphics. And, uh, I, you know, discovered the Oculus Kickstarter, decided to, to wait a little bit, ended up getting the DK2. And, uh, I got the Oculus DK2 in 2014. And, uh, you know, right when I got it, I, I got to work. I showed it around my my friends and colleagues and you know, other students, professors, staff, everyone at UCSD, and I uh, was like, "Hey, this is the future of nanoengineering. Like, we we all need this thing. We all need to be able to get hands on with our molecules so that we could engineer at the nanoscale. And uh, yeah, wow, yeah. You know, I was going to ask you, like, at what point did you did virtual reality come in and into the into the picture? And you know, actually, I want to take a step back and just I want to. I come from a place of ignorance when it comes to like nanotechnology and nanoengineering. I have no idea what um, is going on in that landscape. Can you perhaps provide me like a, you know, a, like a, a big picture perspective of what you know the nanoengineering nanotechnology landscape looks like right now? Like, you know, where where who are the biggest players? What's what are the biggest um, trends? You know, what's going on in that world right now? So I think a lot of the biggest players are actually you know, household names. Um, you have companies like Qualcomm and Intel and Nvidia and AMD. Like like all those companies, uh, when you when you get a new graphics card or a new CPU or a new uh, smartphone, uh, the chips that are that are computing and running everything, you know, those are pieces of nanotechnology. Um, so so what that means is that the transistors that are um, you know computing all the logic gates of the the ones and zeros and the bits that you're processing on the software end. The physical hardware there is actually below below 20 nanometers. A lot of industries at 16 nanometers. If you're in a smartphone, it could be 14 or 10 nanometers. Um, if if you're looking at AMD's new graphics cards, those are going down to seven nanometers. And what that means is, if you take like three carbon atoms, put them side by side uh, in a line, that's about one nanometer. So when we're talking about features that are getting down to seven nanometers, that's like 20 atoms across. So we're, we're re- we really are getting down to this this granular level of nature where we we need to care about each individual atom, and it's it's more than um, just the bulk properties of the material. If you look at silicon, you have a, you have a electrical band gap, um, you know maybe around one point seven or so, which corresponds with yellow light. Um, and if you you know, were to shrink the size of your silicon. And you were to make a, a smaller size, just like physically changing the size of the particle uh, would make it into uh, what we call a um, a quantum dot, uh, which is essentially a uh, material that we've made so small that it exhibits quantum properties as if it were um, a wave function of, of electrons that were just its own thing. Um, so there, there's kind of like tunable properties just by playing with the size. If it's a 5 nanometer particle or a 10 nanometer particle... Uh, you're able to tune the properties there, so uh, that that's that's like one aspect of nanotechnology is like, well, you know, what physical properties emerge when we make things really tiny? 
that's that's one of the the core fundamental uh, questions there. Yeah, you're blowing my mind here, um, and uh, you remind me reminded me of a um, uh, a Reddit post I saw maybe a year ago of a photo um, of I think it was some sort of microchip or something, and it was like a and it was like it was like the photo was supposed to highlight how small things were getting, and I just I just remember thinking like wow it looked like you know like they were etching words into the into the thing and it was just like how can they make things so small like i was just my mind just couldn't get you know i couldn't wrap my mind around like how can you make things so small like how did and then it seems like to me it all seems like science fiction that is happening right underneath my nose you know that's what that's what it feels like at this point like yeah I, we're living in the in the science fiction generation like like we we're around in, in a very cool time period where you know in the 50s and 60s you had these like theoretical physicists that were working on these um, you know strange particles and all sorts of stuff that was really just mathematics at that point that hadn't really been proven with you know big pieces of equipment like uh, in CERN the large hadron collider we now know a lot of the theoretical physics from, uh, you know, the second half of the last century is now just real physics, and and we could prove that. Um, but you know, alongside a lot of these ideas of these these quantum particles and, and things of that nature, there was also this understanding that well, we know atoms, like we we very much understand what's going on with the atoms and everything above the atom. How do we start pushing the engineers and the technology manufacturers to get down to atomic level? And over the past. 70 years we, we've seen us you know get to that point so we we are playing with atoms at this point you know it's like we we, we care about the atoms um one of the, the famous physicists of that generation uh, richard Feynman, uh somewhat you know one of the fathers of nanotechnology and, and nanoengineering uh he, he put out this challenge uh where he wanted people to put the entire encyclopedia britannica on the head of a pen and uh that was actually solved like you know, in, in the in the 1900s, you know, the late 1900s, but that wasn't even like a 2000s thing. Like even that was um, was done quite a while ago. So now we're we're pretty far past that, and we're we're etching all sorts of uh, crazy devices that are you know billions and billions of transistors that are computing billions of times per second. So even with that, if you have a billion transistors and you have a gigahertz signal, which is a, a billion cycles per second, you now have a billion times a billion, which is a really large number. Um, so we're, we're able to just have so many processes, and, and really it's that that drive your smartphone and that drive virtual reality, and there's so many pixels on screen that need to be rendered at 90 frames per second per eye, and like that's only possible because of the advances of nanotechnology that we've made. Holy crap. I mean, yeah, just, wow. I, I Yeah, I have so many questions. I have so many, like I'm almost overwhelmed with like all the questions <laughs> I have for you, but like, all right, let me let me stay on point. Like, so far, thus far, like, you know, you've 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 try, you've been trying to introduce virtual reality um, in, into this you know into this field, and I wonder like what has have you encountered any opposition from from people who will, like who've said no, virtual reality now technology doesn't make sense. Like you know, we can just use we can just use uh, graphs, <laughs> or we could just use chalkboard. I don't know what they would say, but like, have you encountered like? you know, opposition and what does those, what, what would that opposition have looked like for you, um, you know, trying to break into this, this field? I think there's always going to be haters and you know, haters going to hate, like it's, it's the, the nature of the world we live in. Um, yeah, I, I've gotten everything like, you know, back in 
the 2014-15, even a bit of 2016. Yeah, I was hearing this crazy sentiment against VR in general. Like, you know, why are you doing VR? Like, I thought it died in the 90s. So, you know, there's everything from that side of perspective to, um, you know, oh, hey, I already have, like, a mouse and keyboard, and I could kind of wiggle it on my screen. I, I could kind of get, like, a 3D understanding if I just keep moving my mouse back and forth. You know, why do I really need this new system? And then they try it out, and they're like, oh, I see. Like, this is amazing. But then, you know, you still have people that just don't like headsets, and, and they don't want to put anything onto their head, um, you know, just based on their own, like, comfort and, and social stigma, maybe. So I, I think that we're, we're seeing the we're, – we're a little bit past early adopters. You know, early adopters was, you know, crazy guys like us in the, in the 20, 13, 14, 15 days before we even had, like, Six off controllers to move things around, and we were using like Leap right. Motion and Razor Hydras and all, all sorts of like outdated hardware right. architecture. Sorry, young lady, down. <laughs> I taught you better than that, Evie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have to like scold my dog. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like there's always a dog on podcasts. Like it's like it's like the thing you need. Like you, you know, if you had like the video podcast, like it just kind of hops into your lap and like steals the show. Always. <laughs> You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. She, but she's a definitely, wrong definitely not a good co-host. I'm, I'm just gotta say she's uh, <laughs> she does she does her own thing. But uh, but yeah, no. And you're right. It, there 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 are always haters. There are all there are always people you know looking for. And I wonder like if it's a mix of like being scared of change or if it's just like you know wanting to be right and 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 proving you wrong. Even you know even though you might have this like exciting idea like. You know, it might come from a, a lot of angles, it seems like. Um, yeah, but... I, I think a lot of people just develop, like, general, like, cynicism. They're like, oh, like, I remember when I was young and excited about things, but, you know, your, your idea is never going to work. And then it's like, well, you know, maybe you should have a little bit more optimism because it is working. And, like, it's, like, we are currently working with pharmaceutical companies that have scientists that are using our software to understand the structure of proteins and receptors in the body to develop better drugs that could save lives. So like like we are having a current real world impact with our current tools. And there you know, there's no dispute when when you have real customers that are benefiting like that. You can't say who's gonna use this. It's like, no, people people are using this. Like it's making an impact in the field. Yeah, and and like how do you sell that like you know the and, and full disclosure I contract for a VR company um and and I and one of the things that I do is is I try to figure out the messaging and the marketing um the thing the right kind of words that will get people to sort of give your your app a try a chance and and so I wonder like you know what have you found to be effective when you um, when you're trying to pitch people to give your, your app a try, like, you know, what sorts of, you know, like, yeah, like I, what kind of conversations, you know, that do those look like? So I, I think some of the, the best interactions I've had are either from scientists that, that game on the side and that are like into VR and, and, you know, at least kind of know about it and they're like excited to try it because they think there could be some potential. Or there's this whole generation of scientists, you know, that must be in their you know, 40s or 50s or even 60s and older that have just been waiting for this moment. You know, some have used all sorts of kiss, uh, systems like the, the cave system where you have uh, a room filled with walls and the ceiling and the floor with all these 3D displays. And, and you go in there and it feels like you're actually in the space um, to, you know, just active shutter like stereo display glasses where you look at the 3D monitor and you can kind of see like a, a 2.5 dimensional like 
um, playing in the screen where you, you kind of get some 3D understanding. So, like, there's, there's been a lot of people that have just been on the precipice of waiting for the technology to get far enough and waiting for the right developers to make their ideal dream software. And they were just waiting. They, they, like, they wanted this 30 years ago, and it took until all the way in 2018 for them to, to try it out for the first time, and then they're just completely blown away. Like, this is uh, this has been my dream for 20 or 30 years. Like, please, like, you have this now? Like, I need it. Um, yeah, so, so it, it, it's a mix. But I think, you know, also just trying to try, trying to show people, like, that we are this far along. Um, a lot of people just don't believe it at first. They think we're, um, you know, relatively earlier that, or that we did some sort of a, a cheat or a workaround where we just, you know, imported things from a third-party application and, and you can only, like, view it or something. But, like, we have a full-scale, you know, move every atom, change every atom, draw a molecule, run a force field simulation. Like, we have a, a full-scale uh, nano-engineering platform in VR, which I, I think a lot of people just, just take some time to, to process how far along it is. Yeah, man, again, so many questions I have for you. Um can you paint a picture of what an ideal future looks like for Nanom? Like, like can you uh, can you perhaps pro- provide me with the with the sort of like the grand vision when all things when everything is all said and done and you're like you're ready to hang your coat on your closet? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you you look you look at your your Nanom empire. What does it look like? Like, what does that you know? What does that vision look like? So I, I think VR is going to keep getting better. Um, so let's just assume that the VR hardware is in the ideal state of like, you know, lightweight pair of sunglasses or contact lenses or, or just, you know, whatever it's going to be that's just easy to use. Everybody has one, the smartphone level of VR. Um, so if we, if we assume that it's high resolution, you know, low weight, high speed connectivity to the internet, you know, everything that we're dreaming of there, um, you know, the application would be able to commute between any scale. So you, you go in there, um, you know, we, we hopefully have the, the AI deployed, uh, which could guide you through if you don't understand chemistry and mathematics and, and what's going on, then you would just be able to say, all right, help get me started. You would go through an individualized educational experience. I could say, you know, hey, this is you at the you know, one to two meter scale. Let's zoom down and understand, okay, this is your cell at the um, you know, one one millionth of a meter level, and, and this is how your cells make you up. Let's go subcellular, and then you see that the cell is made up of all these proteins and DNA and, and all these atomic structures, and you, you kind of make that connection, and you're like, all right, cool, this is, this is getting good. Uh, maybe this, uh, you know, AI avatar in, in VR could kind of guide you over and further and teach you about the mathematics, or really you could just ask it questions, and it would just try to give you, like, the best answers as possible. And then you'd be able to, um, you know, pull up, you know, a, a, a protein, let's say, that's part of a, um, you know, a crowdsourced bouncy competition, we're calling them, uh, where you'd be able to, to see that if you created a drug that interacted with this, you know, maybe there's some disease going around somewhere around the world that just emerged and we need to all mobilize as a species to get rid of it. And we all say, all right, cool, let's put on our VR headsets. We, we kind of know what's going on here. Uh, let's understand the structure of this protein. Let's all design chemicals, and then I'm sure one of us will design something that works. Um, so you submit this chemical. Uh, there, there's a process that we've developed where if you just release that chemical to everyone, um, it's kind of like a blueprint for the chemical. It's a digital file. And if anybody gets that, 
then they could just recreate the chemical. And if you haven't already like patented it or anything, then it could be a problem. Uh, so we developed a structure where you could either encrypt that data uh, and uh, decrypt it later with a private key, or you could just publish a hash of the chemical. So you you take a kind of like a fingerprint of that chemical file, and you put that on an immutable uh, public ledger, which means that it's just a, a shared file that everybody keeps track of so that you can't go back in time and change it. Uh, it's a, based on a blockchain system. And then you uh, are able to prove that you were the original creator. That, that's pretty much it. You design a new chemical, you design a new design, you design a new thing, whatever it is. You just kind of store a, a fingerprint of that to show that you were the original creator. And, uh, yeah, so the ideal state would be, you know, educating everyone up to their level in any way that they want. They don't have access to university. Like, yeah, so be it. They could still have access to the uh, fundamental uh, laws of nature and understanding what's going on all the way down to, you know, atomic and mathematical precision. Uh, with that understanding, they'd be able to engineer and design new technology, whether that's a new drug or a, a faster computer or quantum computer or just like a, a new chair, like a, literally a chair that you sit in, uh, whatever they're trying to make, like giving them tools to not only create the new design, but also change the material properties. So if you want that chair made out of, uh, instead of aluminum or, or wood, uh, if you wanted to you know, 3D print that chair with your 3D printer, which we also assume that we have you know, really high-quality multi-material metal 3D printers in this future world where we have really cool VR, uh, you'd be able to just you know, export your file to your 3D printer, and instead of printing it out of aluminum, you could even develop a, a new material matrix that it would print in, or you would be able to download somebody's materials and then put that onto your chair. So it's this interplay of, you know, three three-dimensional geometric design and material composition. You know, everything's made out of atoms. Let's let's make sure that we're using the right atoms for the job. And then you end up with this uh, interplay of of working with both the materials and the geometry, and then having you know AI assistance in the design process. And I'd say that that's the ideal dream we're we're working towards. Because you know, if we want to do you know far future stuff, you know, go go to the moon, go to Mars. It's all going to be about the designs, and the robots are going to be printing it over there. Um, but you know, it could also be in your home. It doesn't really matter you know, where it is, anywhere in the universe. The laws of physics are still the same. So let's play with those laws of physics, use computers, use better interfaces, understand what's going on, and have a uh, super society where there's just cooler stuff being made by a lot more people. So in a way... Um Kind of like how um, it used to be like way, 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 way back in the day that only a select few people had the chance to know how to read. Right. Like it was like uh, like it was it seems like I think it was only priests and like people in like high nobility, like they only knew how to read. It seems like um, it seems like that parallel today that seems like there's only a very, very few amount of people that know how to do. Um, this sort of like material creation design whole like uh, like um, manipulation at, at, of atoms at a nano scale like it seems like there's only like very 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 few people that can do that today and so what you're saying is that the future looks like uh, a world where we're looking at a future where wherein people have um, or nanom has democratized this ability to do this thing this this ability to like to manipulate things at a nano scale and like really become almost masters of the universe in a way like it just, uh, just yeah yeah it's uh, 
That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're I mean, really like, ahead like, of your time you need here, to make it that, happen. But I right? like that. Yeah, I like it. But but, it, but it's also relevant. Like you put on a, a VR headset and, and you're studying you know biochemistry in college or just trying to like you know you know look through Wikipedia and, and understand this stuff. It's like like this is affecting people today, and it's just going to keep getting better over time. So so my sort of my thesis is sort of like oh oh. Uh, okay there like it seems like we're you are headed in that direction or you want to democratize this ability right like that's where okay yeah and i mean it shouldn't be a priestly class where it's like oh yeah and i think that that's some of the pushback with um you know the people in industry that are a little bit hesitant about vr it's like oh well i'm a super genius and i could build a three-dimensional model of this in my head by just looking at the chemical formula on paper you know like you're gonna you're gonna give away cheat codes so that anybody could do this it's like, how about not? And so I feel like that's a bit of the pushback, too. It's like they, they want to be part of that priestly class, and I want to destroy the priestly class. I want anybody to be able to do this. I like that. huh? I like that, but I'm also a little bit like, um, you know, when I when I think about that, I, 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 in my head, I hear thoughts about, like, well, what if, what if this gets abused? Like, well, you know, because if you give this ability to democratize, um, you know, you're going to get, in a certain population, you're going to get some, some people who are assholes <laughs> and they're not going to want, and they're going to want to like do, you know, bad things with it. So I, I'm guessing what would counter that is the overall positivity of a population would sort of make it so that the pain that the outliers cause isn't, you know, sort of causing a regression in the adoption of the technology. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts. Exactly, what, yeah. are, what, 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 you know, what do you think would, um, yeah, what, how do you anticipate this, this thing? And it, I mean, it's very far away. I mean, it, yeah, the point at which that sort of stuff that's, you know, starts happening. I mean, that's going to be a little while, but like, what do you see, um, something that could be done to foster a, I don't know, a community where, where you minimize that? Like, what do you think? Definitely. So I, I think right now, um, let's just say that we, we leave it with the status quo. Um, you know, nature could develop the superbug killer that, that wipes out the species. Like, so how, how do we combat that? You know, so at the baseline, even without bad actors, there's you know, natural evolution of viruses and, and bacteria and all sorts of things that could go haywire without anybody intentionally doing it. Um, and, and we need more people to be able to combat just the pure baseline. Um, yeah, above that, if we do have a few you know, bad actors in the system that are you know, trying to utilize advanced technology to do you know, mass destruction and, and, and terrorism, yeah, we, we need to still have you know, Interpol and, and um, you know, justice systems that, that could help track down these bad actors. And I think that we're moving in general to a more technologically tracked society. So I think that there, there should be protocols in place to be able to, to catch and um, you know, reprimand bad actors just through a, a, a legal system there. Um, but on the other end, I, I do think that there could be a, a larger community of good actors than there are bad actors in the system that could be combating it. You know, somebody develops a super virus, somebody else develops a super vaccine. Um, so I think that in general, we're hopefully going to be seeing better technology emerge out of all this. I mean, that, that's been the trend with everything. Um, you know, what happens if we give everybody a computer? Are, are we going to have all these bad actors with access to uh, things that only the Department of Defense had access to? Yes, but also, you know, the Department of Defense and, and other agencies are, are catching people that are bad actors with computers. And we've seen generally 
more positive things happen for our, our society because everybody has a computer. Um, so I think that that's like the generational thing. It's like yeah, every time we develop a new technology, a few people have access to it. People are concerned if everybody had access to it, things would go haywire. Eventually, everybody gets access to it and the world continues. What are... What are where are the limits of nanotechnology? Like, have you ever heard of an idea that someone brought up brought up to you, and you were like, "No, that's you're too far. That's way too far. No, that can never happen." Um, like, where, like, it seems like, um, God, it seems like things that are possible today are already scratching at the edges of science fiction for me. Like, I wonder for you, where are the limits of that? Like. You know, what does that look like? I think a lot of people get, like, caught up with, like, gray goo, like, self-producing uh. nanotech type of, like, nanobots and things like that. And, and, you know, when you look at science fiction or even just Google images of nanobots, like, it's not the stuff that I know that professors and grad students are working on to, you know, a little nanomotor that could deliver uh, a cancer drug to a, to a specific cancer cell based upon receptors that it has, like, yeah, that stuff's cool. Like, that's a real nanobot that's being worked on. What's not a real nanobot is this idea of this, like, spider-like robot, like, attacking a um, protein. It's like, you know, the, 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 the thing is still made out of atoms, and it needs, needs an energy source. And so a lot of people think that if you, you know, create some piece of nanotechnology, it could self-replicate. Well, in order to self-replicate, it needs to have enough energy. It needs to be able to transfer the information. You know, like biology self-replicates in a really fascinating way where we store the information on, on DNA and that gets split up into RNA and then that could be recombined and reconfigured into like a, another biological copy. And we could get energy sources from you know, sugar and ATP and, and sunlight and all, all these other areas. And if we want to recreate that entire stack with like synthetic nanotechnology, like the... You, I, I don't think it's going to happen the way that science fiction has put it down. And I think that, you know, the nanotechnology gray goo is, is all the organic matter on earth. You know, it's the, it is the viruses and the bacteria that's on everything. And, and it is our, our cells and little microorganisms crawling around your, your table and your keyboard, probably like, you know, like, like we are, we are the gray goo. Yeah. The humans are the gray goo, except for it's green goo. And I think that if you wanted a silicon version of that, it's it's not going to go down the way that science fiction did it. So I, I think that's one of the things that, that people get caught up on. And you just really got to worry about what is it made of and where is it getting its energy? Hmm. I even, I didn't even think about that. I was like, what if you could like use nanobots to like, you know, prevent people from dying? Like, I don't I, like, like, it's like, you know how telomeres get reduced? Like maybe the nanobots can come in and be like, nope, you're not, you're not getting reduced. I'm a, Snipped. I mean, maybe like it, 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 it could have, you could have a, a system that kind of acts like, a, you know, a little thing that just keeps repairing and adding stuff. Like we have biological versions of this that are, that are currently going on. So a, you know, a synthetic version, you got to worry about like, if you put it in your bloodstream, you know, your kidneys are trying to filter out things that it doesn't like in your blood. Oh. So if it's made out of like silicon, like, is that just going to destroy your kidneys and give you like renal disease? Um, yeah, maybe, but if you make it out of like proteins and you have this like kind of like CRISPR, like CRISPR is a protein. It's made out of, you know, carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and nitrogen for the most part. And our body's really good at dealing with those organic, uh, organic systems uh, that are made with typical biological atoms. But yeah, anytime you start putting in uh, other types of atoms, 
you really got to worry about how the body's going to react with that. And, and you know, many atoms on the periodic table are poisonous to us. Yeah, nobody likes putting lead into their body. Nobody likes putting, um, you know, uranium into their body. Like there's, hmm. there's kind of a limited uh, scope when you're working with biology, um, but there's actually a really cool scope when you're working with, um, you know, pure electronic systems that are that are non-biological. And then there's kind of an overlap that are like nanobioelectronics, which is also a pretty cool field where you could use, you know, uh, titanium and, and other biocompatible elements. Titanium is a biocompatible element, so my body wouldn't reject it. Uh, well, you know, it, it's it, it depends on a few things. Like you could have a uh, a certain pore structure and, and grain structure of the titanium that makes it even more biocompatible. Where you could have these little sites where the the biological components start growing there, and then it like becomes part of your body. So that's why we see a lot of you know hip implants and like knee joints and. Artificial implants are made with uh, usually a titanium-based material. It might have some other stuff in there and make it an alloy. But um, you know, you're not putting iron, you know, like an iron, um, copper, lead, you know, alloy into your body. Like that, that would be horrible. You know, no, nobody wants that. Yeah. Huh. What are? Yeah. Well, I I feel like I can ask you questions about nanotechnology all day, but I want to go back to VR and ask you really quickly: What are you paying attention to in the next? Uh, in terms of the VR industry, in terms of like uh, innovations, trends, things that are you know uh, that you're looking forward to in the VR industry that affect your business or your strategy, like what are some things that you're looking forward to um, or are paying attention to in the next six months to a year? Yeah, I'm super bullish on all the uh, standalone headsets. So uh, you know we've had a Vive Focus for a while now. I had to pick that up from China. Um, you know, that one's pretty cool. Uh, it doesn't have the six degree freedom input controllers yet, but it, it might in the future. Um, the Oculus Quest, I just got to try it. Uh, uh, Oculus Connect 5, that thing's amazing. I'm really bullish on, um, you know, widespread adoption where you could, you know, purchase this piece of hardware for 400 bucks. Don't have to worry about plugging it into a computer. Everything's just good to go. You put this thing on and like you're in VR. You're, you're in good VR, not like Oculus Go level, which is still pretty good for what it does in 200 bucks. But not like Oculus Go, where you just rotate your head and you can't really move around. It's like it's full level VR. You can move around. You could wave your arms. You could grab stuff, pick things up. So we're going to be um, you know, porting our software over to that system. Um, even things like the Magic Leap. Um, you know, right now it's some of the, like the development kit stages. But whenever they release a consumer version, I'm sure that's going to be a pretty cool headset. Very similar to the Oculus Quest, but um, you know, it has that pass-through um, augmented reality type of system. But yeah, I, I think that something that's easy to use, you just put it on, grab your controllers, and you're you're in VR augmented reality, and you only have to buy one system. You're not worrying about all these cords and plugs and 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 all that. Um, I think that's going to just blow up the industry. And what we've been seeing is a lot of our, our customers and pharmaceutical companies are waiting for that moment. So you know they'll buy. Yeah, only so many computers and plug in so many Oculus Rifts and HTC Vives into, into that. And they're like saying, oh, you know, I heard about this Santa Cruz thing from Oculus. Like, when's that coming around? We want to buy a few hundred of those. And it's like, well, that's I, I think that's going to be one of the critical inflection points for VR is when all these standalones come out. And uh, one, one of the interesting things at OC5 um, that uh, I think... Was it Mark Zuckerberg or Michael Abrash or uh, John Carmack? Uh, one of them said it. But um, you know, they're not competing with the PlayStation 4. They're competing with the Nintendo Switch. 
So I think that you know, right now we're seeing a lot of these new players emerge, but I'm also really excited for what happens when you know Nintendo and, and Apple and all these all these established players start coming out with their systems. You know, that that's just going to be you know crazy walking down the street and it's like Ready Player One. You just see people in VR just hanging out. Yeah, it seemed. Yeah, that's that. That was definitely interesting to hear them going after the Switch, considering there's you know the PSVR on the PS4 console being sort of like the you know you know if there were like one place to target or one audience to target it would be like 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 if i were to do like facebook ads right if i were oculus right and i were to do facebook ads i would i would think about like all right well who's more likely to buy my oculus quest is it like psvr users or is it nintendo switch kids and i I, actually they're smart I, I, I think they're smart. I think they're 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 making the right call. But but sorry, what were you gonna say? No, and so I'm a, I'm actually like what, I'm actually sort of like curious to know what that equation looks like on their front. Like what? How do they arrive to this equation? Like that's that's sort of what I'm curious at. But but I honestly, you know, when it comes to VR, I'm all in. Like all VR is good VR. So yeah, yeah, good for them. Like yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, like, do, do you have a switch? Like, I I uh, got a switch about a year ago or so, and it's been my favorite console. You yes. know, I, I've had a lot of consoles. I've had a lot of handhelds. It's my favorite console, and it's my favorite handheld. Yes, I and, called it my Zelda machine, my Zelda Breath of the Wild <laughs> machine. <laughs> it, you know, it was my Zelda Breath of the Wild machine for a while too. Um, and then I got Mario Kart, and you know the the ability to just be like playing you know, Zelda or, or uh, Mario Kart, and then like a friend, you know, a friend sitting next to you on an airplane, and you're like, oh man, these, these movies are, are just not cutting it. Um, you know, maybe I could do something else. Well, you just pull out the controllers, plop down the the monitor there, and then you each can both play together. Like that. Is crazy that you have this portable handheld console thing that's also multiplayer, like by default. It, it's it was a really smart move, and I could see that it's a smart move for Oculus to to try to to replicate a lot of the user experiences with that. You know, yeah, and I think you're I think you're right. I mean, I will never forget the day I was able to play Zelda on the toilet. And I was like, this is the fucking future. I mean, you know, it wasn't like Game Boy Color Zelda. This was like legit full, full Zelda. Zelda. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it's amazing. I think, um, you know, and yeah, I wish them good luck on that. I, But, you know, one thing from my perspective, I'm more of a, a dork. I love like full on VR tracking sort of solutions. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I've been saving up to get um, the VR, uh, the Vive trackers. Because you know, one thing that I've been I've been noticing a lot, you know, I spend too much time on social media, is that people with full body tracking get a lot of attention. Like people, I don't know, there's something about like watching a human being in some sort of anime avatar flopping around, dancing around, and it's just like, and it's yeah, and people are like, it's weird, but it's but people don't ignore it. <laughs> so so I was like, so I was hoping Oculus would come up with like some sort of like full body tracking solution. You know, just so that they could like, you know, not just go after casual consumers, which is great, but also continue fostering those hardcore people that are wanting more immersive VR experiences. I imagine for Nano, you know, I don't think you guys really need full body tracking unless you unless you want to kick them on it molecule. I don't I don't (laughs) think of anything else. 
Yeah, I um, I, I I still like thinking about ways to integrate, you know, full body input and gesture recognition, and then have full body feedback because I I think it's all about that uh, interconnectivity. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like um, Elon Musk with the uh, the neural lace thing that that he, or neural link that he's trying to do. It's like how do we um, decrease the bottleneck between human and computer? And the more input that the computer is able to receive from the person and the more feedback that the person is able to receive from the computer, the, the more efficient that entire system is going to go. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's really cool what HTC is doing with the, the trackers. Um, I had a really great experience uh, last year when I was in Tokyo. I went to the uh, VR zone in Shinjuku. And it was crazy. It's like, you know, playing Mario Kart on the Switch is cool, but, that, you know, being able to be inside Mario Kart with multiple track devices and, and a headset and, and you're, you know, pulling the steering wheel and you're reaching up into the air to, to grab an item and chucking a shell at your at your friend by throwing it with your hand, like, you know, that, that's just some next-level stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm, like, I'm really excited for, for all the things that could happen as, uh, as we become more integrated with uh, computer systems. But I, I do think that the Quest is awesome because you know, all we need for the Nanome application is um, the good stereoscopic viewer, which you know the Oculus Rift and the the Quest and the Vive, like all of them do that. Um, but then we need hand input. We need to be able to grab things, move things around, um, you know, place a few atoms, design a new molecule. Like it really does require that hand input. Hmm. Um, so I think I think that's baseline. But we're super excited for exploring everything you know, above baseline. I have a theory for a trend that I think is going to be here to stay for a while. And I think it's going to be front-facing cameras um, are going to stick around for a while because of the computer vision you can embed in them and the possibilities to like open up sort of like a, uh, an, a, turning the VR headset into an AR you know, interface. You know, you, it's, it, it seems like um, uh, mixed reality, uh, was it... Uh, when I first got the vibe, I remember like looking through the passive oh, yeah. camera and being like, yeah, the, the Tron mode, yeah, the, 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 the blue everywhere, yeah, that, yeah, that was crazy. I was like, this is cool. This is the be- this could be the beginning of something. But it just seems like, you know, HCC hasn't really worked on that too much, and it feels like, but it seems like just across the board, every headset I've been I've been noticing, like even the Quest, they're they're coming out with like camera or sensor well yeah. are there cameras the, the, or the quest has it uh yeah they, they're they are cameras like i i was in the quest and um you hit a button and then you're in pass-through mode but the cool thing about the quest is that you're in stereo pass-through mode uh versus the the old vive only had that single camera in the middle so it was like kind of a 2d pass-through mode but um yeah both on the the vive focus uh standalone system uh has stereo cameras and the oculus quest standalone system you could do a full stereo pass-through mode, and you could see, you know, the physical world as if you had digital eyes, and I think that's really cool. Yeah, you know, back in the day, I used to do that with like the the Leap Motion because um, they had a stereo infrared camera, and you'd be able to do pass-through uh, with the DK2, and I thought that was super cool. So I'm really glad that that's that's come back into the scene. Yeah, seriously, I want to ask you about Neuralink or Neuralace because uh, this is one of those subjects that. Um, them, I've, I've, sure, listened, yeah. I've listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with Elon Musk, and Me too. <laughs> that was the one thing that I wish they had talked about a lot more of. Like, like he said, it was like, yeah, I have a couple months. We'll have an announcement that you know, if we, and he's like, he says something like, if we, if I'm right about this, this could be like orders of magnitude of what people think is possible, and like that just left me like 
dude, dude, why are you hyping up and uh, and not like saying more? Like, don't. OP better deliver, right? <laughs> yeah, seriously. So like, so so let's get into. So what are you thought your thoughts on that? Because I imagine have you read the you know wait but why uh, blog on Neuralink? Like it was just it's, it might as well be a mini it, book, but it was it, it's it's hard to speculate. I don't really know what's going on until I get my hands on any hardware yeah. that they have. Um, you know, I've I've worked with all sorts of EEG, um, you know, ECG systems before. Um, yeah, you know, UC San Diego. Um, we have a really great psychology cognitive science department. Um, you know, virtual reality department. Like I've had all sorts of electrodes hooked up to my brain. And, um, you know, the computer science professor that we work with, uh, Jürgen Schultz, he's one of our advisors at the company, um, you know, he's been doing VR research for like 25 years. And so he knows a plethora of research that's just been happening. And the best thing that I saw um, was actually uh, invasive. So you have non-invasive, which is like you put on a hat and it's just reading through your thick skull, which, you know, it's not just your thick skull. Everybody has a has a skull that reduces the amount of signal so you can't like really read the brain hmm. without sticking an invasive probe into there but when you do stick an invasive probe into there the signal is actually really great and you can control robotic arms you can do all sorts of crazy stuff but i don't want a probe in my brain unless it's like super tiny and not gonna kill me and you know i, I have a lot of parameters for that like might be up for it in the future but definitely not up for it anytime soon <laughs> unless it's really good so um, with that being said, like, is the neural link going to be invasive and, you know, who's going to want that or is it going to be non-invasive and what are they actually able to do with a non-invasive system? Yes, yes and yes. That I mean, that's the thing. And I'm like, and, and it's like, uh, to me, uh, I get stuck or I get caught up in my own imagination of what's possible. <laughs> I just like, <laughs> I just hear this guy say orders of magnitude. And I'm like, Order the magnitude. I I, I hyper focus on that. I guess yeah. I guess I I'm really good at falling for. Uh, I mean, maybe marketing. maybe it is like a you know, EEG tap, and they just have like all sorts of uh, machine learning, deep learning models that go along with that that do make it you know a hundred times better than the previous system. Because you know, getting a hundred times better fidelity than the previous system, I I think probably is possible. So if you're saying orders of magnitude, that would be you know two orders of magnitude. And I, I could see it being possible with, like, you know, the state-of-the-art hardware, which is, you know, just these small electronic probes with good signal reading. Um, couple that with machine learning techniques to, you know, just get the uh, the best parts of the signal and process that in a meaningful way. And maybe you're going to do, like, individualized machine learning based upon, um, you know, a, a large set of tasks that you have the user complete. And you kind of, like, train the AI system to learn you, and the better that that system learns you, the better it should be able to understand and and make actions that it thinks that you want. And so I think that's where that's where it must be going, right? Because he talks about merging with machines and having this kind of like um, an, another cortex, uh, a neo neo cortex, where we have this new thing we put on top of ourselves, and it's an AI layer that's trying to understand what's going on with our cortex and our are, are parts of our brain that are, you know, just remnants of um, you know, basic biological function to keep us surviving. And, like, how do we get that whole system communicating with, like, a new part of our brain? And I, I could see it being possible. I mean, he, you know, he's got all the, the open AI and, and AI play going on. So, so my guess is that the hardware is probably pretty off the shelf, maybe some modifications here and there to have slight improvements. But I think the orders of magnitude are going to be all about the AI software. 
Hmm. Yeah, that is a really, really good、um, possible outcome or prediction. Yeah, I didn't even didn't even cross my mind. I got again. I'm getting stuck in the future wherein we'll be able to communicate telepathically. <laughs> yeah, we'll just plug into the matrix, and <laughs> I'll have my I'll have my my neural lace cap on, and you'll have your neural lace cap on, or you know, everybody on the you know who's listening to the podcast will have you know their neural lace. Thing on, and they'll be able to like,、uh, and when and and when I tell a story, I you know, not only will I be able to communicate that story through language, but the neural lace will transmit the emotions that come from that story. Like, like, like the, the language is so one dimensional, right? We we are, it's like we have a、uh, you know an input string that we're just reading to each other, and then that's being processed. It's just a one dimensional string of information that we're feeding from one to another. How do we make that transference of information multi-dimensional? You know, we have things like VR, where we're able to to move our hands and have you know, geometries, and we're able to see that with our stereoscopic eyes, and we could hear things. Like, how do we get beyond the senses that we have right now and get into that like hypersense sort of like new parts of our brains communicating with each other? Like, that's just going to be you know, it could go n-dimensional. So you could just have so much information passing between everybody. Like, I, I'm I'm excited for that world. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts, and honestly, I can't wait. And this has been an awesome conversation, Stephen. Is there anything、um, that you'd like to bring up before we start bringing things to a close? Um, yeah, I mean, just encourage everybody to try out Nanom.、Um, you'll get it on Steam, Oculus, Viveport.、Uh, Chris, hope to, to see you in there. You can download a free version.、Uh, when you download the free version, sign up for a Nanom account. And、uh, if you want to send me an email,、uh, I could get you a discount on like the upgrade system. But the free version is like really capable. You could do a lot with that. Like we're we're giving out a really cool piece of technology for free to anyone just because we believe in the future of humanity.、Um, but then our, our model is like if you're a professional in sciences and you just like kind of like pay an upgrade. So、um, yeah, Chris, if you want to if you want a discount code for that or, or license, I'll send that over and.、Um, If anybody listening to this podcast wants a discount code,、uh, just go ahead and send us an email at、uh, hello at nanom dot ai, and、uh, yeah, we'll send you a little discount code for listening to this great podcast. Awesome! And how can people stay in touch and follow up with all the things you're doing these days?、Uh, yeah, at Twitter, we're very active on Twitter and Facebook and all of our social media.、Um, yeah, if you go to、uh, Twitter slash、uh, nanom underscore inc,、uh, you'll be able to see all of our posts, and、uh, you can follow us along. There and occasionally,、um, you know, I'm trying to get it down to like once a week, but it ends up being kind of once a month.、Uh, me and the team will just port into VR and invite people from our community to just hang out, chat with us,、uh, learn a little bit about chemistry or nanotechnology in VR. Because、uh, yeah, you really need to be in the software or at least see a video feed to, to understand what it's capable of. So yeah,、uh, follow us on Twitter, and we'll be posting、uh, times when we're in VR, and you can just meet and hang out with the team. Very cool, Stephen. I have conclusively concluded that you, sir, are a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. I、uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> I can't wait to have you back on the show. We barely scratched the tip of the iceberg. There's so much to talk about, and I've been just bombarded with so much knowledge. I it's gonna take me、uh, a couple of listens to like fully fully absorb what what、uh, all the all the cool stuff you've、uh, you've mentioned. So so thanks again, man. I and I look forward to having you again. 
Cool. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, future topics. You know, we can talk about like blockchain and uh, merging like real world economies into virtual worlds and, and having like digital real world economies because, you know, crypto is transferable between digital video games and applications in the real world. Uh, we could talk about, you know, what it takes to like simulate reality. Like, um, you know, if, if we can model every atom with a virtual reality system and recreate it with sufficiently advanced simulations and we have the advent of quantum computers and things like that. And you know, where does that lead? So all sorts of topics that we could talk about on a, on a future podcast. Really looking forward to it. Yes, 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 absolutely. All right, thanks, David. Catch you around. Cool, all right. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks a lot, Chris. Talk to you later.